When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. The theme of today's episode is What Now? In both of today's stories, our storytellers have had life-altering experiences and are finding themselves wondering exactly that. What do I do now? How do you go back to normal life after something like this has happened? Our first story today is from Lawrence Green. It was recorded back in the before times at our debut show in Dallas, Texas in April 2019 in partnership with our friends at the Dallas Morning News. April 28, 2015. That was the day it started. The start of my new life. I woke up in the hospital, in the ICU, not knowing the extent of my injuries or what had happened fully. My parents came in to see me. They uh, wanted to see me awake for the first time. I I had the sensation that uh, my legs fell asleep. I'd start trying to move around to readjust, get comfortable, and uh, was unsuccessful because I was too weak to even reach my arm to my face at that point. The nurse was in the room at the time, could see me struggling. I... uh, they asked me if I needed help with anything. I said, I need to reposition my legs so I can, they feel like they fell asleep. The nurse started to say something, immediately got interrupted by my dad. My dad squatted down next to me, leaned in close, and he said, you lost your legs in the motorcycle accident. My dad, growing up, was always very stoic. Uh, Raised me and my brother on the uh, tough love style and showed very little emotion. So when I saw the pain and emotion in his face when he told me, I knew I had to be strong for not just myself, but my entire family. I immediately told both my parents, I looked at them and I said, I'd rather be here without them than not be here at all. So they uh, they smiled on that one. First time I'd seen them smile since they walked in the room. The next month and a half of uh, recovery was long and difficult. I uh, was unable to sleep at nighttime. One thing they don't tell you is... Uh, It's really hard to sleep in a hospital bed after sleeping in a coma for a whole month. (laughs) 
uh, up late at night, unable to sleep, just had info, late night infomercials on. I still remember uh, Mike Mandel with the my pillow <laughs> every night. <laughs> uh, those are the nights. Those are the times that uh, the thoughts begin to run through my mind. You know, am I going to have a normal relationship? Will I have a normal life? Will I enjoy the things that I used to enjoy, like going outside, enjoying the outdoors? All I could do was look forward to the morning time when my family got to come back. All my friends came back. I got to do my physical therapy and occupational therapy. There's something about playing with them uh, big rubber bands that... uh <laughs> pulling them around and stuff like that. <laughs> it just gave me satisfaction. Gave me the, uh, what I needed to get through the entire day. I, uh, I got released from the hospital June 3rd, 2015, the day after my 27th birthday. Sent to a uh, rehab the rehab facility I went to, they had a two-week minimum of how long you sh you're there. I did my two weeks. They sent me home. They told me I was one of the strongest people they've had through since after a traumatic accident. So I got home, finally, ready to start my new life. Home in my own bed, able to eat any food that's not hospital food. <laughs> I uh, had my dog with me to keep me company, Penny. But I still had to figure out what I was going to do next. So as I'm trying to figure it out, I have a couple of friends that are trying to help me out, get my life started. They're members of the uh, Pop Hitters Union Motorcycle Club, a uh, veteran motorcycle rider organization, tight-knit community. Uh, a few days after talking with them, they give me a text message that says, give this guy a call. His name's David. He's looking forward to talking to you. So with no more information than that, I just go ahead and give this guy a call. <laughs> I uh, left him a voicemail, told him I got his number from a couple other friends. Within an hour, he gives me a call back, excited to talk to me. And just wants me to come out and meet him all the way in Dallas from the other side of Fort Worth. <laughs> so we schedule an appointment for the following Monday. I, uh, I wasn't driving at the time, so I had my mom drive me out and all the way out from the other side of Fort Worth into Dallas to meet with him. We show up, this big guy, long hair, looking like Samson. <laughs> <laughs> Just comes running out, excited. Takes me in the building. We have a sit-down meeting with him and his staff. He tells me about this gym that he's starting up called the Adaptive Training Foundation, ATF. It's a nonprofit organization based on the empowerment of people with disabilities through training, physical, physical training. He looks at me and says, so are you ready to start working out again? And this is mid-July. 
I just got released from the hospital, just gotten home, getting settled in. I still have two wound vacuums on my legs, helping with the healing, sucking everything out to try to get it healed up faster. So I'm a little bit, I'm pretty scared, a little nervous about all this. And I just look at him and him and his whole staff, they, they don't see the wheelchair, the wound vacuums, the wounds. They see me, a man that was just ready to get life started. So I told him I was ready. I filled out an application, almost immediately get accepted in the class. We, uh, we began working out August 10th, 2015. I began class three of the Adaptive Training Foundation. Start working out. I, at this point, I had, they took the wound vacuums off, but I still had bandages on. We actually had issues with uh, breaking a couple of the scabs open <laughs> in training. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so I started training up there. I ended up going through a few different classes, and it started giving me life back. The first few weeks started giving me life back. I, uh, I started quickly realizing I can do anything now that I could before. Something's better. Um, I was ready to do anything. Fast forward a few months. I've been through a few different classes. At this point, I'd, they took me on a ski trip. Never been skiing in my life and got to go skiing. I started playing sled hockey. Uh, I played for the uh, Dallas Sled Stars locally. And I just started to realize that life is coming back. Well, daylight savings time, March 2017. I mean, the most amazing woman, beautiful, smart, funny, outspoken, very loud, <laughs> Kayla. Then I was immediately drawn to her, and we had met a few times at previous ATF events and just never gotten to talk like we did this night. We actually got to talk, got to know each other, and that's not I got her number. <laughs> So, <laughs> a few months into our relationship, uh, she told me, you got to do something. You got to, she gave me an ultimatum. She said, you got to get a job or go to school. And I'm still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And one thing kept catching my eye, I kept going back to mechanical engineering. I looked up some of the things that mechanical engineers do, uh, what type of careers they take, and found a lot of relatable skills to what I used to do, uh, being a mechanic. And being a mechanic, we actually have jokes around the shop. Uh, <laughs> we fix what the mechanical engineers mess up. <laughs> I mean, it's not entirely true, but, you know, we like to have fun. And there are a lot of uh, relatable skills in between them. So I started looking into schools and decided on uh, University of North Texas, 
well, Kayla having a master's degree knows all the ins and outs of how to get enrolled, who I need to talk to, what I need to do. So she just takes me to the school and says, well, get enrolled. <laughs> so I got enrolled, started uh, January 2018 in the spring semester. Uh, the first the first day of school was very nerve-wracking. I get anxiety. I graduated high school in 2006 and haven't been back since. So, I mean, 12 years with no school. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. I was surrounded by 18-year-olds that seemed to be way smarter than me. <laughs> it just took me a little bit of refreshing. <laughs> so, I've been enrolled at a University of North Texas since then. I'm still currently enrolled for mechanical and energy engineering. And I've learned, whenever I first had my accident was laying in the hospital, I knew I had a new life to start. And I was just ready to start it, and I wanted it right then and there. I've learned to be patient. Things take time, especially when you're rebuilding from scratch. Things take time to build. I've found my new normal since then. And norm, the status quo of being normal is boring. Be unique. Be different. Stand out. And that's what I feel like I've done. I've gone back to Adapter Training Foundation as an athlete multiple times. I'm a volunteer trainer. I volunteer as much time as I can. I help out anywhere, anyhow I can. And I spend time with my amazing girlfriend, Kayla. <laughs> and life is great. That was Lawrence Green. Lawrence joined the United States Army as a wheeled vehicle mechanic in 2008. During his time served, he was stationed in South Korea, then Fort Hood, Texas, and eventually deployed to Iraq for about a year before being honorably discharged in 2012. Post-service, Lawrence used his mechanic experience to work as a heavy equipment technician before his life changed forever on March 29, 2015, as we just heard. He's now a volunteer trainer with the Adaptive Training Foundation and is now pursuing his personal training certification to continue his love of fitness. Through ATF, he also fell in love with para-ice hockey and joined the Dallas Stars sled hockey team. Before we continue on today, I want to remind everyone that if you want to support stories like the ones we're sharing today, if you, like all of us at the Story Collider, believe in the power these stories have to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, you can sign up to support The Story Collider on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash thestorycollider. We so appreciate the support of our patrons, especially during this past year. You can also check out storycollider.org for more information on upcoming shows and workshops. Our last workshop of the year is starting in a few weeks, so if you've been meaning to sign up for one this year, don't miss your chance. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our second story today is from Camille Adams-Jones. It was recorded in September at Caveat in New York City for a small private audience of guests. This show is in partnership with our friends at Black and Mental Health. Good afternoon. I am going to get vulnerable and do something that is unheard of in the Black community. And that's about, and that's talking about it outside. You know, the things that happen in the house happen in the house. So the first thing I'm going to do is give you guys a secret. I'm not sure if it's still a secret because I think a couple of people are on to us right now in terms of my family, but I'm going to tell you it's 100% fact, 2000% verifiable truth. I was indeed raised by superheroes. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but I had a mother and a father who could hear through walls. So anything myself and my two sisters were plotting, they were on to us before we came out with, hey, we're thinking, they're like, absolutely not, okay? They could read our minds, so they knew whatever story version we were giving, whether or not indeed that was the truth. They could see things before they happened. They could predict the future. No, you're not going to spend the night there because spending the night, boom, boom, boom. They knew it all. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, my mommy and my daddy can fly. It's, um, my parents are from the South. I'm my mother, born and raised in Huntersville, North Carolina, right outside of Charlotte. My dad from Columbia, South Carolina, and they migrated to the great streets in New York. Um, and they raised three of us. My parents taught us absolutely everything. I am one of the 1% of the population that can drive a stick. <laughs> I can sew. I can cook. I had a father who was an accountant, so I can manage the books. I don't need TurboTax to do my taxes, okay? <laughs> they showed us love early in life. One of the best moments was a Friday night in the Adams home. You could catch my mother and father dancing in the den together. And me and my three two sisters would gather around. We would try to dance with them. My mother just could not catch the beat to save her life. <laughs> my father spent his whole life like, on the beat, Sarah, on the beat. <laughs> Come on, Sarah, on the beat, okay? And the, the crowning moment was kiss, kiss. And then they would kiss and we would go, ooh, just like kids. But they showed us love early. We talked about everything in the house, in our household. We had, we were armed to understand our voices. I was the dark-skinned, jerry curl, red glasses-wearing child. I knew hatred early when it came at me. 
I would bring it home and they would immediately dismiss it with like all those words, none of them amount to the dynamicness that lives in community. And then one of the greatest gifts they gave us was knowing how to be independent. And so even though my father, the conversations at our home were never about whether or not we were going to college, it was about which college we were going to. And that CPA chief accountant father of mine was like, as long as y'all go somewhere with New York State tuition. And I was just like, nah, none of us did. My older sister ended up in Virginia Tech, my youngest sister, North Carolina A&T, and me, University of Maryland at College Park. One of the nicest and most humbling embraces of love that I ever received from my father was when he kissed me goodbye to send me on to Maryland. Never forgot that. So I get there. I'm at Maryland's campus. I'm doing the D.C. DMV thing, but I'm a New Yorker, so I got to stay fly. I got to stay fly. This don't, this don't come easy, y'all. This don't come easy, okay? But I can't dress like them Southerners down there in D.C. I know everybody hates that, but once you pass Philly, that Mason-Dixon line, that's, that's not real. Once you pass Philly, you in the South, okay? So I would be constantly making trips back home to New York. These superheroes made sure that any kryptonite that came our way, we were prepared to deal with it. I, I endured some of the most egregious encounters of racism when I left the doorsteps of New York. But I was armed with understanding who I was based on what mom and dad built me into. But still, knowing that they built me to be dynamic, I knew I also had to dress the part. So I was back and forth to New York constantly. And then one weekend I came home, it was just me home surprising mom and dad. At this point, they're empty nesters. My parents had a good love. They had one of those loves that I, I'm working towards in my own marriage. They communicated well in like this unspeaking, unspoken language of, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> but everybody knew what the other was saying. And I remember this weekend I came home, it was absolutely perfect. Mom and dad did everything they enjoyed. My mom, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, yes, I'm lineage, ski we all day. My father, a member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity, and we had what we call now today cabarets, they called the dance. So my mom, true New Yorker and dad, dressed to the nine, heading to this dance that Omega Psi Phi was throwing. That's what they did Friday night. Saturday, they cooked at the church. My father, the chef, he was the lead for men who cook at the church. My mom there doing her thing, slicing cornbread, making plates, making sure she stretched it out. <laughs> Me, I'm there. I'm on Jamaica Ave, picking up some kicks. I'm back in Harlem on 125th Street, seeing if I can get a discounted mink, you know, because it's November at the time. I got to get geared up for the winter, all right? And so I'm home doing that. I've done my shopping trip and I hit Roosevelt Field, got everything I needed. I'm in the house now. I got to do that real shopping. I need groceries. <laughs> so I'm packing the car with the food that they bought. I'm doing free laundry. So I'm tired. They're out dancing the night away and things like that. They come back in and we hit the bed because I'm leaving early. I'm heading back to New York because I got this guy I'm trying to check out. Just trying to see what he's doing. We had a little thing going on back then. I married him now, so I can say that. I didn't want him to know back then I was as interested as I was. But um, we, um, and I went to bed because I was going to hit the road early. I drive that Jersey Turnpike like nobody's business. And I remember just resting. And then I heard this sound. 
coming from the room afar. And I knew it because it was familiar. It was my mother's voice, but it was so high-pitched. She was screaming for help. She was calling out for rescue, and then I had this touch hit me. Superman was there. And he said, Camille, come here. He was shaking me. I could feel his embrace. He was shaking me, and he was saying, kiddo, kiddo, come up, wake up, wake up. And when I could come to, I couldn't see him. I just saw this burgundy, burnt orange, gray, hazy blackness and the figure of my dad. He had a bald head. And I, he was saying to me, kiddo, kiddo, we're not going to make it. He gave me that kind of kiss he gave me when he dropped me off at the University of Maryland. One of those kisses that I didn't get regularly from him, but I knew what they meant. He kissed me, and he pushed me out of the second-story window of my home. And then Superman went into action. He had to save his Supergirl. From what I can remember, that it's only from the accounts of the Nassau County Fire Department. They basically found my father laying on top of my mother doing what true superheroes do, protecting. That night, I got out, I hit the pavement, and I go to my front door, I'm trying to get this open, and it's like glue. It's like, you can't, I'm pulling, I'm pulling on it, you know, like those screen doors that are made of steel, keep people out, but don't take into consideration when people are trying to get out. I, and the fire department just going to work, and they're trying, and I see, I feel a tug on me, they're, trying to pull me out the way to work on me. Are you hurt? Where are you hurt? Where are you hurt? And I can't, I can't even, I don't have speech. They pull me away and then the first body I see them bring out is my dad. But I don't make contact with them. For some reason, I don't know if I knew then. I don't know. But I knew Superman was wounded. And the next body I watched them bring out is my mom and they drag her through the glass from the door down to our concrete steps and they're they got her on the grass, and I'm football styling it like, breathe, mommy. Breathe. Breathe, mommy. Come on, mom. And she lets out this the dirtiest, sooty, grayish, brownish, charcoal-filled cough you could ever imagine. And to me, it's beautiful. Because I can see her chest rising. She's breathing. Mommy's here. And then and and they pull me. And I watch them as they work on her. I see one ambulance leave. And I know Superman's in there. They load my mother up. And then they load me up in the third ambulance. And from the windows in the ambulance, I can see our lair. Our Superman, Supergirl, Superwoman headquarters is burning to the ground. All the memories created in A27, Pepperidge Road, just all the, the nights of watching the Cosby Show, Edition World, A Different World, Mama's Young and the Restless Show, when you were sick from school, that recipe of all my children, God in Light and Wheel of Fortune, mixed with a little Matlock and Hawaii Five-O, the original, okay? Pictures of us going to the prom. 
that day they brought daddy home from the hospital when he had found out he had diabetes. All of this is running through my mind. We get to the hospital and I'm just not okay. Remember, this is this family that our recipe and remedy for everything is laughter. We can get through anything through life with laughter. Like we, <laughs> no matter what's going on, no matter how tragic, we got a punchline to it. We got that and we got scripture. And I remember having to go that week. Mommy was in a coma, needed working on me. And I go to my mom and I'm right, I'm in this wheelchair, I'm by her bedside. And my sisters, my sisters make it from North Carolina, Virginia. And a couple days go by, this fire was Sunday. Wednesday hits and they come and they say, Camille, we got to bury daddy. I said, we can't bury daddy without mom. And so I go to mom and I said, mom, I need you to get up. I can't tell you why, but I need you to get up. And that next day, she opens her eyes. They pull the tube out of her and all that. They clean her up. And I'm holding her hand. I'm like, mommy, mommy. And she opens her eyes. She says, Camille? I'm like, yeah. She's like, who won Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> and I said, what? In our house, we cheer for black people. And this was like the first season of Dancing with the Stars when Emmett Smith was in the finalist and he pulled it off. But I didn't know Emmett won. I didn't have those words. I was just like, oh, God, she's delusional. But then the nurse is like, Emmett won. Okay, so. And I remember never re reciting to my mom that daddy was gone. I remember my older sister, Inka, who just has this ability to just be God-awful in all things in life, but then magical when needed. And I remember, she's going to get me for that one. But I, I remember she was the one that alerted my mom that we had lost Superman. And that week, the superheroes that my mom and daddy raised showed. The three of us came together. We planned a funeral in the midst of just chaos beyond belief. Y'all don't know what it's like when black people die. If you do, oh, my God. When black people, you got a cousin asking, can you have his car? You got another one asking, you know, do you need anything? But hoping you don't say money because they're not at that point right now. But daddy had us, everything lined up. And, I mean, being in the middle, we just went, or like, collectively. My younger sister had this job, like, many moons ago at, like, 1-800-Flowers. So she was in charge of flowers. Like, worked there for, like, 15 minutes, but she no flowers, so she was in charge of flowers. You know, my oldest sister and I just put in a program here. Just my youngest sister, working with Ms. Oden, put things together. We just did what we needed to do. And everybody kept saying, Camille, what do you need? What do you need? And all I could kept saying was, just pray for my mom. Because I couldn't highlight the one thing that I knew we were not allowed to say in our lives, and that was that I'm mad at God. I was raised knowing that God don't make mistakes. You know, to worry is to doubt God. But I was like, nah. Bro, I got it wrong. He got it wrong. He was looking for 872. We at 827. Give me back daddy. Superman can't be gone. I'm not done with him. I got to have somebody hold my hand when I walk down the aisle. I got to make sure this guy I'm waiting to get back to D.C. to check out, he's still real good with, you know? I had brought home some decents, but this was the one I wanted. And I was not okay, but I went into this mode of business mode. My parents, we never talked about depression. We never talked about coping, anxiety, sadness, just being in spaces and places that you can't get out of by yourself. But I left. I went back to work. I'm a clinician at the time. I'm at this hospital working in D.C. We're going through what we call treatment team, going through all the patients, giving updates for the day. 
And they said, we have one more patient we need to discuss. And it was like, who's that patient? It's that like patient Camille. Oh, let me got somebody here named Camille. That's a dope name. Who that? I got to meet this patient. They said, like, we talking about you, Camille. We talking about you, sis. This fly dressing New Yorker is in here in a Versace blazer and a pajama top. It was like, you're not okay. So I go home and I'm telling this then boyfriend, now husband, like, you know, can you get these, you know, they messing with my fashion. Yes, it is a pajama top, but how did they know I wasn't trying to make a fashion statement that day with it being unbuttoned <laughs> incorrectly and all that kind of stuff. And he just turns and he looks at me and he says, Camille, you haven't been okay since you lost daddy. And I said, what? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, you got to get some help. You got to talk to somebody. And even though this is what I do, I'm not buying what I'm selling. I'm not in therapy. What? I'm good. Daddy taught us this. We're okay. Like, you don't move on. All right, it happened. That's life. That shit happens. Put yourself together. Come on. You got work to do. And then I realized, like, you know, how I got better was this boyfriend then husband showed me who he really was. He a snitch at heart. <laughs> he a snitch, like witness for the state type snitch. And he tells my mother, he's like, Camille's been sleeping in her shoes. And she's jumping up around that same time every night that that fire was between 317 and 348 in the morning. And the first thing I said was like, what? You told mom I'm here at 348 in the morning. She's going to know we're doing the sex. She's going to know I'm shacking up like she's a Christian. What? I just told her we kissed twice. Damn it, she's on to us now. What are you doing? And so I, um, I realized I didn't know that. I didn't know I wasn't. I didn't know I was that bad. Let me say that. And I talked to my mom, and it's like this permission. Like, Camille, you know, it's okay to not be okay. When you lost your dad, I lost my very best friend. I'm not okay. And it was like for the first time I saw how we could embrace our faith. We could have Christ and a counselor. We can have therapy as well as the teachings of scripture. No longer do we have to be that member of the black community and the black family that we handle it. How we handle it? How we handle it? Through eating. Oh, my God. The, the recipe of getting through grief is turkey, ham, green beans, mac and cheese. Somebody at the church got to make pound cake. And not one, not two, but four Costco chickens. I don't know what it is when people die. People just show up at your house with Costco chickens. I put on 52 pounds when I lost my dad eating, and I swore I wasn't going to eat it. And then, you know, black people think, you know, just eat, honey, eat here. This will make you feel better. And then if that's not working, they give you that one piece of magic potion that the black community feels will heal everything, known as ginger ale. <laughs> if you got some ginger ale, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Daddy's dead. Have a sip of ginger ale. Okay? Daddy ain't coming back. Here, have a piece of ham. Okay? <laughs> And I, I want us to have different conversations. I want us to embrace healing different. So now this witness for the state that I'm married to, we got three little ones. And we intentionally talk about emotions. We intentionally do feelings. Use your words, Kennedy. What's going on, Ethan? Tell mommy how you feel, Channing. 
I'm trying to be better for them, but most important for me. And when I think about Black mental health, I think of how we've allowed this stigma to prevent us from releasing and unpacking. So, so many of us represent what Erica's talking about in Bag Lady, about Bag Lady, don't miss your bus, you're going to hurt your back, carrying all that stuff. That was me. It wasn't until my dad died November 12th. I was in a grocery store May 6th with this now husband, and I was shopping cart full. I'm a cook. And I reached out to touch this one food. And it was what daddy used to make me all the time. And it was we were the only two in the house that ate. I, I believe mom snuck a little bit, but it was pig feet. Y'all know I was raised by Southern folks. Yep, pig feet, proud and loud. Yep, mm-hmm. And I touched, I was like, oh, my God, daddy's dead. And at the time, it happened to be with my husband. He knew what to do. And he put me in bed. And I was there for like three days, just a mess. And he was like, baby, you got to shower. You got to shower. And he pushed these three grapes through my mouth and put life back into me. And he said, anything and everything that you need, I'm going to hold your hand through it all. And for 13 years, he has yet to break that promise. And I need that. We need that in our community. We need that green light to go get well. Go unpack. Don't go through trauma and then hit up work on Monday. Right? Don't get raped on Thursday and think you can head back to the office Monday morning. Don't lose someone that's been a pillar to your community, a prominent figure in your growth, and think you're just going to head on out, hit the beach real quick and come back, and you're going to do it, catch an Airbnb, and you're going to be all right. In our community, we got to embrace wellness. we got to tear down those stigmas. And if there's anything you learn from my story, go be a superhero for yourself. Get well, both on the outside and most importantly on the inside. Thank you. That was Camille Adams-Jones. Camille is a recognized psychotherapist in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. An author and organizational behavior scientist, she oversees a flagship federal occupational health and work-life balance program where she has become a standout corporate cultural transformation advisor and advocate for wellness in the workplace via employee assistance programming. Dr. Jones is also a celebrated private practitioner for couples, as well as a parent coordinator and custody evaluator in partnership with Washington, D.C. in the state of Maryland court systems. In her free time, she's a mother of three and together with her husband, Jerome, launched a real estate investment firm in 2017. Most recently, she has added the title of farmer to her credentials, purchasing over 88 acres of farmland to build a wellness retreat. The Story Collider is so grateful to Lawrence and Camille for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider, with assistance from Story Collider's Program Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Shen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, 
including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, Marketing Manager Nakisha Roberts-Washington, and our intern Jamie Banks, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by our 2019 Dallas team, Aparna Kumar and Anna Kuchman, and New York senior producers Gastor Almonte and Paula Croxon, respectively. We're also incredibly grateful to Manny Jade Garcia of Black and Mental Health for their work on this show and for hosting it with Paula. Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, we'll be back with more live recorded stories from shows. Until then, thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.